To qualify as a real estate professional, you would have to dedicate the majority of your working time towards real estate activities and transactions. You have to dedicate at least 750 hours per year towards real estate, and that also has to make up for more than half of your working time dedicated to transactions and managing real estate. And so that's kind of what I did. That was Christine Shu. She is a co-founder of Noblevest. Christine has a really great story about how she stumbled into real estate, basically using the tax advantages to leave her full-time job to get into the game full-time and change her life and give her the balance she needed. Stay tuned. This is a great episode. The limited partner shares in the potentially outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment, but as a passive investor and has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. And that is why we're here together. 90% of the millionaires out there built their net worth with real estate. However, 0% of the billionaires are hands-on managing the real estate assets because there simply isn't enough time. My name is Jake Wiley, and for the past 16 years, I've been investing in real estate, and I've learned a thing or two. But the most important lesson is how to leverage the expertise and time of others to maximize your investment potential. Welcome to the Limited Partner Podcast. All right, welcome, partners. It's another episode this week. I'm joined by Christine Shu. She's one of the co-founders of Noblevest. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jake. I really appreciate you having me, and I'm excited for our conversation. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. And just to kind of timestamp this episode, for those of you that are listening in the future, we are in probably the early to mid part of 2023. So the interest rate markets are crazy. The debt markets are crazy. Valuations are all over the place and generally not going in the direction that we as real estate investors like to see. So I think it'll be an interesting show. <laughs> I Christine, agree. Yeah, Christine, as yes. we get into it, you know, for the benefit of our listeners, I guess tell us a little bit about you, your background, Noblevest, and how you got here. Of course. So I started off my career, I spent about 12, 13 years in a W-2 corporate career as a food scientist in Fortune 100 consumer product goods companies. And so I took that traditional path, as I think most people do, got a degree, got a job, then got married and had children. And for me, I feel like throughout my career, there's something about the rat race of going to work every day from you know eight to six, or sometimes even more than that. It didn't sit well with me. And especially when I started to have children and start a family, then the priorities of climbing that corporate ladder was no longer really that appealing to me anymore. And I just didn't feel like that job was fulfilling at the end of the day. And I didn't get to see my kids really that often, like grow up and do go through all their milestones. And it just, you know, I wanted to be there for them because then my priorities shifted from work to family. And so from that point with my husband, with our family, we sat down and we just thought about what our next steps would be. And we decided that I would leave my job. My husband would continue working his job and I would pursue real estate full time. And question might be, how did I land on real estate? Well, at that time, being a dual income, we were kind of considered at the higher tier 
or the higher bracket in terms of paying taxes. And so we just researched all the different ways to help offset and mitigate our taxes. And all the arrows kept pointing back to investing in real estate. And so we did some calculations. We spoke with a tax strategist and a CPA. And we found out that if I were to just simply leave my job and become a real estate professional, an REP, then just that alone, you know, all the depreciation benefits that come with owning real estate and real estate assets would then replace my income at the end of the day. We were paying so much taxes that just the action of me leaving my job would offset my income's worth of taxes that we were paying. So it was kind of a no-brainer for us. And so then at that time, we actually, just to mitigate some of the risks involved, we sold our primary home. We bought a two-family, moved into that, and started house hacking. So our family lived on one side and we rented out the other to kind of mitigate some of the cost of living. So we live in New York, which is pretty high cost of living. And that also kind of just helped decrease the risk in case this real estate investing thing didn't work out for me. And so then I also went on to become an active real estate investor, bought four properties in Philadelphia with what's called the BRRRR strategy, which stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. With the extra proceeds from the sale of our house, we purchased those those properties and were able to refinance that and kind of continue the process. So that's kind of my journey. And then going into how I became a limited partner at the same time that I was investing actively, I also invested as an LP in a syndication deal because I figured I have limited time. Investing in real estate was kind of taking a lot of time. Why I quit my job in the first place is to get more time and freedom, flexibility. And so decided to allocate some funds into an LP position. And that was really great because then my money was continuing to work for me without me having to put in that extra effort of, you know, finding tenants, finding contractors, managing them and doing the whole asset management side. So that was really great. It worked out very well. Well, one thing you brought up there that I kind of want to like dig in a little bit more on, or at least have you explain is the whole concept of being a real estate professional and how that helped you on the taxes, because I bet that a lot of folks out there don't even know that. Yes. Yes. So if to qualify as a real estate professional, you would have to dedicate the majority of your working time towards real estate activities and transactions. And that's primarily around owning real estate, I would say. And I'm not a CPA. I just want to put that disclaimer out there. If you want to kind of dig in deeper, certainly consult with a CPA and see if that works for you and your personal situation. But for us, you know, I think the IRS does say you have to dedicate at least 750 hours per year towards real estate. And that also has to make up for more than half of your working time dedicated to transactions and managing real estate. And so that's kind of what I did. I built up my own portfolio of real estate with the properties that I had acquired and was fixing them up. I was working with contractors and property management and actually like being actively involved. So this is all around active real estate involvement. And so I know typically I've seen in couples where maybe one one person in the in that, you know, one person might be 
a high income earner, whether it is a doctor, dentist, lawyer, or, you know, software engineer type of thing, they're making a lot of income and they, their spouse might be someone who is the real estate professional. And that, so the depreciation benefits around the real estate, the active real estate can offset the ordinary income at the end of the day if they're filing jointly. So again, I'm not a CPA. That's just a very high level explanation. Definitely do your own research and consult with a CPA about that. Yeah. And I think the really cool piece of the puzzle, right, is if you're not considered a real estate professional, then you're active, like basically the depreciation that can flow through you through to you against your ordinary income is capped at $25,000. But if you are right. a real estate professional, then all of that loss comes through to you as a loss because theoretically you're a real estate professional. So I think that's like, that's the juice that you get by being a real estate professional is that you're not capped. So a lot of people think about real estate and like, to your point, you know, what are some of the benefits you'd like, they think depreciation is this like just magic pill that comes through and everybody gets it. But there are limitations, especially if you're not active. And if you're truly a passive investor, like you can only take so much of that. That's right. So I think that's a really great point. I thought that was worth calling out because like a great strategy. And then two, that was part of what sets you free, right? From the nine to five was looking at uh -huh. the strategy and saying, wow, like if we can offset this much of our taxes, like I don't even have to go to punch the clock anymore. That's, a, that's an amazing story. Thank you. Yes, it certainly was like both my husband and I, our minds were blown by this. We were, we had no idea that this was even a thing or a possibility. So it's, it is truly an amazing benefit. Well, let's get into the current environment or, you know, look at the current market. So we've got, generally speaking, we're passive investors here. We're looking to put our money to work with somebody else. And in, in great times, that's nice because all, you know, the rising tide raises all the ships, but we're in a, we're in a period now where the tide seems to be moving out pretty quickly and there's some ships pr close, parked pretty close to the shore. Uh, so I guess what's still getting you excited about the market and what advice can you share for our limited partner audience out here that are, you know, they're trying to figure out how to invest in this point? Yes, absolutely. I think in today's current climate, it is all the more important to completely vet your deals and vet your partners and sponsors. Truly, it's it was important to do in the last three years as well. But I think there was so much happening, so many transactions and trades happening. There was definitely a frenzy of, you know, groups and operators buying a lot of deals in the last few years. So for us specifically, we do pretty extensive vetting. So I didn't mention before, but also I am a co-GP and fund manager in about 293 million assets under management currently over 1400 doors. So I take perspective both of the LP investor, which I've now invested into 15 syndications as an LP. So not just in my own deals, which I do put, I do come in at an LP position in all of my own deals, but also in other people's deals. So I have that perspective of both an LP and GP. And as a GP, we always put LP position first and foremost, top of mind, because we really want our investors to make a return uh, even before we do. And so we, we find that very important and we want that relationship to be the center 
of the relationship between the GP and the LP. So I would say definitely vetting your deals. We have a we actually have a spreadsheet that we share with a lot of our LP investors of questions. It's about like 50 to 100 questions that you can ask. And we break it out into three groups. So we have questions around the deal itself, of course, how it's underwritten, what the metrics are, as well as the market. So that's the second really important thing to look at. Is it a market that is growing in population? Does it have economic diversity? And is the politics around real estate positive for for landlords? And so we also look at three. The third vetting point is the operator and the sponsors. So we want to encourage our LPs to do their own due diligence, but we also put a lot of time and emphasis ourselves as co-GPs and fund managers on behalf of our LPs before we even, you know, offer or work on a deal with a partner. And so for us, you know, we get to know our partners and our lead operators really well. Typically, we're investing our own capital first before we decide to work with them because that really allows us to understand their process. Every group does things a little bit differently, as well as how information is communicated. So that is probably one of the most important things to consider as an LP is how transparent are the operators and how are how is information delivered and is it delivered at a timely in a timely manner we dig into their markets we understand we try to understand their underwriting we typically do our own underwriting on top of hiring a third party underwriting an underwriter kind of a neutral party to look at the deal as well so that we can ask those questions of why you know why did you come up with these pro formas is it matching up with what we're coming up with as pro formas as well as kind of how are operators structuring their deals? Is it advantageous for the LPs or to them as the GPs? There's many ways you can structure a deal. And a lot of times that can make or break the deal as well. And again, what's really important is what is their track record? Do they have the experience? Are they able to navigate the different cycles? You know, now we're moving towards a potentially down cycle. Do they have the resources and the knowledge to be able to navigate those choppy waters ahead. And I would say, you know, not every single deal is a home run for even the most experienced operators. (laughs) And it comes with the territory. We don't expect every deal to be great. And that doesn't certainly is not the only metric to success. But if there is one deal that maybe wasn't as great, you know, what did they learn from it? How how did they apply it to their next deal? Um, The learnings that was... And then also, I think, you know, something for us, a lot of times this could be a deal breaker is do they personally have skin in the game as well? So are they putting their funds toward the property and towards that project? So we invest alongside our investors. We expect all of our partners and sponsors and general partners to invest as well. Well, that was well said. And it's funny to kind of talk about these three legs and on the show, we I have what I call the MSA model, right? So different than the MSA you're thinking about, but it's really the same three legs. So it's the market, it's the sponsor, and then it's the asset. So as you're thinking about that as 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 a limited partner, looking at investments into the future, you know, those are the three things that you need to get comfortable with on every single deal, right? 
Do you feel good about the market? Do you feel good about the sponsor? Do you feel good about the asset? And not get overly concerned or bogged down in some of the noise that's out there because you got to remember too that when these deals are out in the market, they are being marketed, right? It is it is a marketing <laughs> process and you need that's to do right. your due diligence. And then, you know, I think the other thing you mentioned, which I think is a good point, is that not every deal is going to be great. And that is just kind of how it works out. And sometimes that's just random luck. Sometimes it's chance. Sometimes it is a bad operator. But, you know, having some diversification in your assets and saying like, oh, don't put your whole nest egg in one deal, right? Spread mm-hmm. it out a little bit because some of them are going to overperform, some of them are going to underperform, and some of them will be kind of right in the middle. And hopefully across the portfolio, you end up where you thought you were. But if you've got all your eggs in one basket, like you may find yourself pleasantly un- or unpleasantly surprised. <laughs> Yes, that's right. And hence why, you know, I personally invested across now about 15 syndications as an LP myself and across many different asset classes, because I think we see in traditional multifamily right now, like cash flow and yield is really low because of the debt. And I feel like the revenue is, yes, you know, rents are still kind of increasing, but stabilizing. So it's got less cash flow. I'm now focusing on higher cash flow things like or asset classes like short-term rentals, right? That one's higher yield, another one ATMs even. So yeah. high yield type of plays in addition to kind of the upside. Yeah. And I think if anybody's selling you on a deal on the upside, right, that's a red flag. And I, it doesn't right. mean that it won't happen, but a real estate investor is always focused on cash flow, right? If that's it, right. it's going to cash flow, then everything else is gravy. Right. And that's yes. the way you need to look at that's the way you need to look at your deals. Exactly. Well, Christine, what do you what's exciting about the market now? What are you excited about? What do you see coming our way? Where do you think the opportunities are? Yes. Well, there likely will be a lot of opportunity coming very soon. We do hear a lot about, you know, some operators and groups taking on debt in the last few years. I would say probably the did exactly that. And so if they are struggling a little bit right now, they may have some debt that is coming due in terms of maturity of the loan. And so, you know, there are some things that they can do, but I think one is a lot of them will want to sell the asset as soon as they could. And so a lot of times that can be done, that could be offered now if they're in distress at kind of a discount. So I'm foreseeing that there will be some deals or quite a bit of deals hitting the market pretty soon. I think as of right now, the it's still a little bit slow because it's in that transitionary time, but maybe six to 12 months is when we'll start to see a lot of potentially really great deals coming online. And so I would encourage investors, you know, don't It's always good to invest and it's hard to time the market, you know, don't time the market because that's no one has the crystal ball, but take it slow and steady, but also anticipate that there could be, you know, great things coming (laughs) in the near future. Yeah, I think it's a great point. We talk about that a lot on the show, especially in these recent couple, you know, past few months is the dead market's frozen and then it's just getting more and more difficult to put deals together. But right. as we see this, you know, kind of the way I kind of look at it, it's like it's a wave coming at us where, yes, there's a lot of, of debt that's going to come due. 
when that debt comes due, you know, the, the interest rates and the cash flow projections that were initially assumed in these properties are going to be way off, right? Because the price of debt is more than doubled in, in a lot of cases. And you know, it has the potential to put a downward spiral kind of pressure on the valuations of properties. So how do you marry that up with the fundamentals of that multifamily market, which still appear to be very strong? Yes, I think multifamily is very strong, will always continue to be strong, and especially so on the residential side, because right now owning a home or buying a home is not affordable. It's much, much harder for own for homeowners to buy a house in today's market. And so I, I do still, you know, there's great opportunity. It's a, it's a very stable asset class in multifamily. And it's just, you know, it just depends on really what you as an investor, what you're looking for. I, I would say from a long-term perspective, it's strong. But of course, there are some nuances now that you'd have to consider and just be open to. And I, I think also this is where I, we just mentioned that diversification is key. You know, look at different asset classes, different yield offerings that are provided in different asset classes. You don't want all of your eggs in one basket, you know, just to reiterate that again. Yeah, I think that's great coaching. But, you know, obviously you're thinking, and I mean, I don't disagree that like, it's always a good time to invest, right? It just seems, you know, the market seems interesting now and like you, you really got to crunch your numbers. And I think with the fundamentals of the housing market, they are meaning that like we do have a housing shortage, right? The rents okay. are increasing. They're at historic highs now. Builders are no longer building at the levels that they were, which could exacerbate the ongoing housing shortage. So uh-huh. then as we look into the future, really the risk is a deal that was put together poorly, right? Like a, yeah, where you know a sponsor or an operator was not factoring the debt appropriately, or was a little bit aggressive to make the numbers pencil to get a deal through. Mm-hmm. You know, the risk is that it goes back to the bank, right? Not that the asset itself was underperforming. It's probably that the sponsor underperformed in the way they put the deal together. Is that you feel like that's a fair statement? Yes, absolutely. I think you know the operators are the pilots. And you can have the top of the line brand new jet that has all the technology and bills and whistles. But if the pilots don't know and don't have the experience to pilot it, especially in, you know, choppy, a choppier environment, then that becomes a challenge. And so, you know, (laughs) the best plane can still be crashed at the end of the day. So, yes, that is certainly an important consideration there. Well, as we get really to the end of the show, one, thank you so much for all the knowledge. And I mean, it's it's an interesting time to say the least, but I like to finish every show with a bit of gratitude, you know, to say thank you to somebody that gave you a leg up or helped you along the way. Maybe you didn't quite deserve, but has kind of helped you get to where you are today. Who would you like to give a shout out to? Yes. So there are several people I would love to give a shout out to. Certainly my business partner, Margaret, she was the one who actually introduced me to investing passively in real estate syndications. In addition to her, also my mentors, Julie Lamb and Annie Dickerson with Good Egg Investments, they have been truly monumental with kind of helping us navigate through this business and yeah, give them a lot of credit and props. So thank you, ladies. 
<laughs> well, I hope they listen because I know sometimes <laughs> we don't get the acknowledgement or folks don't get the acknowledgement that they should. I want to make sure that we share that on the show. But Christine, like I said, this has been a great show. I really appreciate all the knowledge and experience that you brought. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and I'd actually love for you to contribute to a future episode. If you have a question you'd like answered or a topic or a guest to bring on the show, please email me at jake at thelimitedpartner.com. Now I realize there's a lot of lingo that's thrown around on these shows, so I've created a cheat sheet for you with the top 26 terms that come up most often. Head on over to thelimitedpartner.com forward slash lingo for the list. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.